Hi, everybody. Carla here, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Before I get started tonight, I'd like to ask Spotify listeners to please reply and let me know what you think of the story and the reading so far, and or any comment you'd like to make about the podcast in general. I'd love to interact with you. Also, if you like the content here, please consider supporting the podcast with a donation of $1 or more. It would be greatly appreciated. And now, without further delay, I give you E. Lockhart's We Were Liars. Continuing with part four, number 67. A couple days later, Granddad called Johnny into his Claremont study, asked Johnny to do him a favor. Johnny said no. Granddad said he would empty Johnny's college fund if Johnny didn't do it. Johnny said he wasn't interfering in his mother's love life, and he would bloody well work his way through community college then. Granddad called Thatcher. Johnny told Carrie. Carrie asked Gat to stop coming to supper at Claremont. It's riling Harris up, she said. It would be better for all of us if you just made some macaroni at Redgate, or I can have Johnny bring you a plate. You understand, don't you? Just until things get sorted out. Gad did not understand. Johnny didn't either. All of us liars stopped coming to meals. Soon after, Bess told Mirren to push Granddad harder about Windmere. She was to take Bonnie, Liberty, and Taft with her to talk with him in his study. They were the future of his family. And Mirren was to say, Johnny and Katie didn't have the math grades for Harvard, while Mirren did. Mirren was the business-minded one, the heir to all Granddad stood for. Johnny and Katie were too frivolous, and look at these beautiful littles. The pretty blonde twins, the freckle-faced Taft, they were Sinclair's, through and through. <clears throat> Say all that, said Bess, but Mirren would not. Bess took her phone, her laptop, and her allowance. Mirren would not. One evening, Mummy asked me about me and Gat. Granddad knows something is going on with you two. He isn't happy. I told her I was in love. She said, don't be silly. You're risking your future, she said. Our house, your education, for what? Love. A summer fling. Leave the boy alone. No. Love doesn't last, Katie. You know that. I don't. Love doesn't last. You know that. Well, believe me, it doesn't. We're not you and Dad, I said. We're not. Mummy crossed her arms. Grow up, Cadence. See the world as it is, not as you wish it to be. I looked at her, my lovely tall mother with her pretty coil of hair and her hard, bitter mouth. Her veins were never open. Her heart never leapt out to flop helplessly on the lawn. She never melted into puddles. She was normal, always, at any cost. For the health of our family, she said eventually, you are to break it off. <clears throat> I won't. You must. And when you're done, make sure Granddad knows. Tell him it's nothing and tell him it never was anything. Tell him he shouldn't worry about that boy again. And then talk to him about Harvard and tennis team and the future you have in front of you. Do you understand me? I did not and I would not. I ran out of the house and into Gat's arms. I bled on him and he didn't mind. Late that night, Marin, Gat, Johnny, and I went down to the tool shed behind Claremont. We found hammers. There were only two, so Gat carried a wrench and I carried a pair of heavy garden shears. We collected the ivory goose from Claremont, the elephants from Windmere, the monkeys from Red Gate, and the toad from Cuddledown. 
We brought them down to the dock in the dark and smashed them with the hammers and the wrench and the shears until the ivory was nothing but powder. Gat ducked a bucket into the cold seawater and rinsed the dock clean. We thought, we talked. What if, we said, what if in another universe, a split reality, God reached out his finger and lightning struck the Claremont house? What if God set it up in flames? Thus he would punish the greedy, the petty, the prejudiced, the normal, the unkind. They would repent of their deeds and after that learn to love one another again. Open their souls, open their veins, wipe off their smiles. Be a family, stay a family. It wasn't religious the way we thought of it, and yet it was. Punishment, purification through flames, or both. Next day, late July of summer 15, there was a lunch at Claremont. Another lunch, like all the other lunches, set out on the big table. More tears. The voices were so loud that we liars came up the walkway from Redgate and stood at the foot of the garden, listening. I have to earn your love every day, Dad mummy slurred. And most days I fail. It's not fucking fair. Carrie gets the pearls. Bess gets the Boston house. Bess gets Windermere. Carrie has Johnny and you'll give him Claremont. I know you will. I'll be left alone with nothing. Nothing. Even though Katie's supposed to be the one. The first. You always said. Granddad stood up from his seat at the head of the table. Penelope? I'll take her away. Do you hear me? I'll take Katie away and you won't see her again. Granddad's voice boomed across the yard. This is the United States of America, he said. You don't seem to understand that, Penny, so let me explain. In America, here is how we operate. We work for what we want, and we get ahead. We never take no for an answer, and we deserve the rewards of our perseverance. Will, Taft, are you listening? The little boys nodded, chins quivering. Granddad continued, We Sinclairs are a grand old family. That is something to be proud of. Our traditions and values form the bedrock on which future generations stand. This island is our home, as it was my father's and my grandfather's before him. And yet the three of you women, with these divorces, broken homes, this disrespect for tradition, this lack of a work ethic, you have done nothing but disappoint an old man who thought he raised you right. Dad, please, said Bess. Be quiet thundered granddad. You cannot expect me to accept your disregard for family values and reward you and your children with financial security. You cannot any of you expect this and yet day after day I see that you do. I will no longer tolerate it. Bess crumbled in tears. Carrie grabbed Will by the elbow and walked toward the dock. Mummy threw her wine glass against the side of Claremont House. What happened then? I asked Johnny. We are still lying on the floor of Cuddle Down, early in the morning, summer 17. You don't remember? He says. No. People started leaving the island. Carrie took Will to a hotel in Eckertown and asked me and Gad to follow her as soon as we'd packed everything. The staff departed at 8. Your mother went to see that friend of hers on the vineyard. Alice? Yes, Al Alice came and got her, but you wouldn't leave and finally she had to go without you. Granddad took off for the mainland, and then we decided about the fire. We planned it out, I say. We did. We convinced Bess to take the big boat and all the littles to see a movie on the vineyard. As Johnny talks, the memories form. I fill in details he hasn't spoken aloud. 
When we left, when we left, when they left, we drank wine. We drank the wine they'd left corked in the fridge, says Johnny. Four open bottles, and Gat was so angry. He was right, I say. Johnny turns his face and speaks into the floor again, because he wasn't coming back. If my mom married Ed, they'd be cut off. And if my mom left Ed, Gat wouldn't be connected to our family anymore. Claremont was a symbol of everything that was wrong. It is Mirren's voice. She came in so quietly I didn't hear. She is now lying on the floor next to Johnny, holding his other hand. The seat of the patriarchy, says Gat. I didn't hear him come in either. He lies down next to me. You're such an ass, Gat, says Johnny kindly. You always say patriarchy. It's what I mean. You sneak it in whenever you can. Patriarchy on toast. Patriarchy in my pants. Patriarchy with the squeeze of lemon. Claremont seemed like the seat of the patriarchy, repeats Gat. And yes, we were stupid drunk. And yes, we thought they'd rip the family apart and I would never come here again. We figured if the house was gone and the paperwork and data inside it gone and all the objects they fought about gone, the power would be gone. We could be a family, says Mirren. It was like a purification, says Gat. She remembers we said a fire is all, says Johnny, his voice suddenly loud. And some other things, I add, sitting up and looking at the wires in the morning light. Things are coming back as you're filling me in. We are telling you all the stuff that happened before we set the fire, says Johnny, still loud. Yes, says Mirren. We set a fire, I say, and wonder. We didn't sob and bleed. We did something instead, made a change. Kind of, says Mirren. Are you kidding? We burned that fucking palace to the ground. After the aunties and granddad quarreled, I was crying. Gat was crying too. He was going to leave the island and I'd never see him again. He would never see me. Gat. My Gat. I had never cried with anyone before at the same time. He cried like a man, not like a boy, not like he was frustrated or hadn't gotten his way, but like life was bitter, like his wounds couldn't be healed. I wanted to heal them for him. We ran down to the tiny beach alone. I clung to him and we sat together in the sand and for once he had nothing to say. No analysis, no questions. Finally, I said something about what if, what if we took it into our own hands? And Gat said, how? And I said something about what if, what if they could stop fighting? We have something to save. And Gat said, yes, you and me and Marin and Johnny, yes, we do. But of course, we can always see each other, the four of us. Next year, we can drive. There was always the phone. But here, I said, this. Yes, here, he said, this, you and me. I said something about what if, what if we could somehow stop being the beautiful Sinclair family and just be a family? What if we could stop being different colors, different backgrounds, and just be in love? What if we could force everyone to change, force them? You want to play God, Gat said. I want to take action, I said. There is always the phone, he said. But what about here, I said, this? Yes, here, he said, this. Gat was my love, my first and only. How could I let him go? He was a person who couldn't, who couldn't fake a smile, but smiled often. He wrapped my wrist in white gaze and believed wounds needed attention. He wrote on his hands and asked me my thoughts. 
His mind was restless, relentless. He didn't believe in God anymore, and yet he still wished that God would help him. And now he was mine, and I said, we should not let our love be threatened. We should not let the family fall apart. We should not accept an evil we can change. We would stand up against it, would we not? We should, yes. We would be heroes, even. Gat and I talked to Mirren and Johnny, convinced them to take action. We told each other over and over, do what you're afraid to do. We told each other over and over we said it. We told each other we were right. The plan was simple. We would find the spare jugs of gas, the ones kept in the shed for the motorboats. There were newspapers and cardboard in the mudroom. We'd build piles of recycling and soak those in gasoline. We'd soak the wood floors as well. Stand back, light a paper towel roll, and throw it. Easy. We would light every floor, every room if possible, to make sure Claremont burned completely. Gat in the basement. Me on the ground floor. Johnny on the second. And Niren on top. The fire department would arrive really late, says Marin. Two fire departments, said Johnny, Woods Hole and Martha's Vineyard. We were counting on that, I say, realizing. We planned to call for help, says Johnny. Of course, someone had to call or it would look like arson. We were going to say we were all at Cuddle Down watching a movie, and you know how the trees surround it. You can't see the other houses unless you go on the roof. So it made sense that no one would have called. Those fire departments are mainly volunteers, says Gat. No one had a clue. Old wood house, tinderbox. If the aunts and granddads suspected us, they'd never prosecute, adds Johnny. It was easy to bank on that. Of course they wouldn't prosecute. No one here is a criminal. No one is an addict. No one is a failure. I feel a thrill at what we have done. My full name is Cadence Sinclair Eastman, and contrary to the expectations of the beautiful family in which I was raised, I am an arsonist, a visionary, a heroine, a rebel, the kind of person who changes history, a criminal. But if I am a criminal, am I then an addict? Am I then a failure? My mind is playing with twists of meaning as it always does. We made it happen, I say. Depends on what you think it is, says Marin. We saved the family. They started over. Aunt Carrie's wandering the island at night, says Mirren. My mother's scrubbing clean sinks till her hands are raw. Penny watches you sleep and writes down what you eat. They drink a fuckload. They're getting drunk until the tears roll down their faces. When are you even at Claremont to see that, I say. I get up there now and then, Mirren says. You think we solved everything, Katie, but I think it was... We're here, I persist. Without that fire, we wouldn't be here. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Granddad held so much power, I say, and now he doesn't. We changed an evil we saw in the world. I understand so much that wasn't clear before. My tea is warm. The liars are beautiful. Cuddle down is beautiful. It doesn't matter if there are stains on the wall. It doesn't matter if I have headaches or Marin is sick. It doesn't matter if Will has nightmares and Gat hates himself. We have committed the perfect crime. Granddad only lacks power because he's demented, says Marin. He would still torture everybody if he could. I don't agree with you, says Gat. New Claremont seems like a punishment to me. What? she asked. A self-punishment. He built himself a home that isn't a home. It's deliberately uncomfortable. Why would he do that? I ask. Why did you give away all your belongings? Gat asked. He is staring at me. They are all staring at me. 
To be charitable, I answer, to do some good in the world. There is a strange silence. I hate clutter, I say. No one laughs. I don't know how this conversation came to be all about me. None of the liars speaks for a long time. Then Johnny says, don't push it, Gat. And Gat says, I'm glad you remember the fire cadence. And I say, yeah, well, some of it. And Mirren says she doesn't feel well and goes back to bed. The boys and I lie on the kitchen floor and stare at the ceiling for a while longer until I realize with some embarrassment that they have both fallen asleep. I find my mother on Windermere porch with the Goldens. She is crocheting a scarf of pale blue wool. You're always at Cuddle Down, Mummy complains. It's not good to be down there all the time. Carrie went yesterday looking for something and said, and she said it was filthy. What have you been doing? Nothing. Sorry about the mess. If it's really dirty, we can't ask Jenny to clean it. You know that, right? It's not fair to her. And Bess will have a fit if she sees it. I don't want anyone coming in to cuddle down. I, I want it just for us. Don't worry. I sat down and I sat down and pat Bosch on his sweet yellow head. Listen, mummy? Yes? Why did you tell the family not to talk to me about the fire? She puts down her yarn and looks at me for a long time. You remember the fire? Last night, it came rushing back. I, I don't remember all of it, but yeah, I remember it happened. I remember you all argued and everyone left the island. I remember I was here with Gat, Marin, and Johnny. Do you remember anything else? What the sky looked like, with the flames, the smell of the smoke. If Mummy thinks I am in any way at fault, she will never, ever ask me. I know she won't. She doesn't want to know. I changed the course of her life. I changed the fate of the family, the liars and I. It was a horrible thing to do, maybe, but it was something. It wasn't sitting by complaining. I am more powerful. I am a more powerful person than my mother will ever know. I have trespassed against her and helped her too. She strokes my hair, so cloying. I pull back. That's all? She asks. Why doesn't anyone talk to me about it? I repeat. Because of your... Because of... Mummy stops, looking for words. Because of your pain. Because I have headaches? Because I can't remember my accident? I can't handle the idea that Claremont burned down? The doctors told me not to add stress to your life, she says. They said the fire might have triggered the headaches, whether it was smoke inhalation or, or fear. She finishes lamely. I'm not a child, I say. I can be trusted to know basic information about our family. All summer I've been working to remember my accident and what happened right before. Why not tell me, mummy? I did tell you two years ago. I told you over and over, but you never remembered it the next day. And when I talked to the doctor, he said I shouldn't keep upsetting you that way, shouldn't keep pushing you. You live with me, I cry. Don't you have any faith in your own judgment over that of some doctor who barely knows me? He's an expert. What makes you think I want my whole extended family keeping secrets from me, even the twins, even Will and Taff, for God's sake, rather than know what happened? What makes you think I'm so fragile I can't even know simple facts? You seem that fragile to me, says Mummy, and to be honest, I haven't been sure I could handle your reaction. You can't even imagine how insulting that is. I love you, she says. I can't look at her pitying, self-justifying face any longer. Marin is in my room when I open the door. She's sitting on my desk with her hand on my laptop. 
I wonder if I could read the emails you sent me last year, she says. Do you have them on your computer? Yeah, I never read them, she says. At the start of summer, I pretended I did, but I never even opened them. Why not? I just didn't, she says. I thought it didn't matter, but now I think it does. And look, she makes her voice light. I even left the house to do it. I swallow as much anger as I can. I understand not writing back, but why wouldn't you even read my emails? I know, Mirren says. It sucks and I'm a horrible wench. Please, will you let me read them now? I open the laptop, do a search, and find all the notes addressed to her. There are 28. I read over her shoulder. Most of them are charming, darling emails from a person supposedly without headaches. <clears throat> Mirren, tomorrow I leave for Europe with my cheating father, who is, as you know, also deeply boring. Wish me luck, and know that I wish I were spending the summer on Beechwood with you, and Johnny, and even Gat. I know, I know, I should be over it. I am over it, I am. Off to Marbella to meet attractive Spanish boy, so there. I wonder if I can make Dad eat the most disgusting foods of every country we visit as penance for his running off to Colorado. I bet I can. If he really loves me, he will eat frogs and kidneys and chocolate-covered ants. Cadence. That's how most of them go, but a few of the emails are neither charming nor darling. Those ones are pitiful and true. <clears throat> Mirren. Vermont winter. Dark. Dark. Mummy keeps looking at me while I sleep. My head hurts all the time. I don't know what to make. I don't know what to do to make it stop. The pills don't work. Someone is splitting through the top of my head with an axe, a messy axe that won't make a clean cut through my skull. Whoever wields it has to hack away at my head, coming down over and over, but not always right in the same place. I have multiple wounds. I dream sometimes that the person wielding the axe is granddad. Other times, the person is me. Other times, the person is Gat. Sorry to sound crazy. My hands are shaky as I type this, and the screen is too bright. I want to die sometimes. My head hurts so much. I keep writing you all my brightest thoughts, but I never say the dark ones, even though I think them all the time. So I am saying them now. Even if you do not answer, I will know somebody heard them, and that, at least, is something. Cadence. We read all 28 emails. When she is finished, Marin kisses me on the cheek. I can't even say sorry, she tells me. There is not even a scrabble word for how bad I feel. Then she is gone. I bring my laptop to the bed and create a document. I take down my graph paper notes and begin typing those and all my new memories fast and with a thousand errors. I fill in gaps with guesses where I don't have actual recall. The Sinclair Center for Socialization and Snacks. You won't see that boyfriend of yours again. He wants me to stay the hell away from you. We adore Windmere, don't we, Katie? Aunt Carrie crying in Johnny's windbreaker. Gat throwing balls for the dogs on the tennis court. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, the dogs, the fucking dogs, Fatima and Prince Philip. The Goldens died in that fire. I know it now, and it is my fault. They were such naughty dogs, not like Bosch, Grendel, and Poppy, whom Mummy trained. Fatima and Prince Philip ate starfish on the shore, then vomited them up in the living room. They shook water from their shaggy fur, snarfed people's picnic lunches, chewed frisbees into chunks of unusable, unusable plastic. 
They loved tennis balls and would go down to the court and slime any that had been left around. They would not sit when told. They begged at the table. When the fire caught, the dogs were in one of the guest bedrooms. Granddad often closed them in upstairs while Claremont was empty or at night. That way they wouldn't eat people's boots or howl at the screen door. Granddad had shut them up before he left the island and we hadn't thought of them. I had killed those dogs. It was I who lived with dogs, I who knew where Prince Philip and Fatima slept. The rest of the liars didn't think about the Goldens, not very much anyway, not like I did. They had burned to death. How could I have forgotten them like that? How could I have been so wrapped up in my own stupid criminal exercise, the thrill of it, my own anger at the aunties and granddad? Fatima and Prince Philip burning, sniffing at the hot door, breathing in smoke, rag wagging their tails, hopefully, waiting for someone to come and get them, barking. What, what a horrible death for those poor, dear, naughty dogs. I run out of Windmere. It is dark now, nearly time for supper. My feelings leak out my eyes, crumpling my face, heave through my frame as I imagine the dogs, hoping for a rescue, staring at the door as the smoke billows in. Where to go? I, I cannot face the liars at Cuddledown. Redgate might have Will or Aunt Carrie. The island is so fucking small. Actually, there's nowhere to go. I am trapped on this island where I killed those poor, poor dogs. All my bravado this morning. The power, the perfect crime, taking down the patriarchy. The way we liars saved the summer ideal and made it better. The way we kept our family together by destroying some part of it. All that is delusional. The dogs are dead, the stupid lovely dogs, the dogs I could have saved, innocent dogs whose faces lit when you snuck them a bit of hamburger or even said their names. Dogs who loved to go on boats, who ran free all day on muddy paws. What kind of person takes action without thinking about who might be locked in up in the upstairs room, trusting the people who have always kept them safe and loved them? I am sobbing these strange, silent sobs standing on the walkway between Windmere and Redgate. My face is soaked. My chest is contracting. I stumble back home. Gat is on the steps. He jumps up when he sees me and wraps his arms around me. I sob into his shoulder and tuck my arms under his jacket and around his waist. He doesn't ask what's wrong until I tell him. The dogs, I say finally, we killed the dogs. He is quiet for a moment, then... Yeah. I don't speak again until my body stops shaking. Let's sit down, Gat says. We settle on the porch steps. Gat rests his head against mine. I love those dogs, I say. We all did. I, I choke on my words. I don't think I should talk about it anymore or I'll start crying again. All right. We sit for a while longer. Is that everything? Gat asks. What? Everything you were crying about. God forbid there's more. He is silent and still silent. Oh, hell, there is more, I say, and my chest feels hollow and iced. Yeah, says Gat, there is more. More that people aren't telling me, more that Mummy would rather I didn't remember. He takes a moment to think. I think we're telling you, but you can't hear it. You've been sick, Cadence. You're not telling me directly, I say. No. Why the hell not? Kenny said it was best, and, well, with all of us being here, I had faith that you'd remember. He takes his arm off my shoulder and wraps his hands around his knees. Gat, my gat. He is contemplation and enthusiasm, ambition and strong coffee. 
I love the lids of his brown eyes, his smooth, dark skin, his lower lip that pushes out, his mind, his mind. I kiss his cheek. I remember more about us than I used to, I tell him. I remember you and me kissing at the door of the mudroom before it all went so wrong. You and me on the tennis court, talking about Ed proposing to Carrie. On the perimeter at the flat rock where no one could see us, and down on the tiny beach talking about setting the fire. He nods. But I still don't remember what went wrong, I say. Why we weren't together when I got hurt. Did we have an argument? Did I do something? Did you go back to Raquel? I cannot look him in the eyes. I think I deserve an honest answer, even if whatever's between us now isn't going to last. Gat's face crumbled as he crumbles as he hides it in his hands. I don't know what to do, he says. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me, I say. I can't stay here with you, he says. I have to go back to cuddle down. Why? I have to, he says, standing up and walking. Then he stops and turns. I messed everything up. I'm so sorry, Katie. I am so, so sorry. He is crying again. I shouldn't have kissed you or made you a tire swing or given you roses. I shouldn't have told you how beautiful you are. I wanted you to. I know, but I should have stayed away. I fucked up that. I fucked up. That's what I did. And and I'm sorry. Come back here, I say. But when he doesn't move, I go to him. Put my hands on his neck and my cheek against his. I kiss him so hard so he knows I mean it. His mouth is so soft and he's just the best person I know. The best person I've ever known. No matter what bad things have happened between us. And no matter what happens after this. I love you, I whisper. He pulls back. This is what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. I I just wanted to see you. He turns around and is lost in the dark. And that will do it for this reading of E. Lockhart's We Were Liars. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.